Now the shotgun start in golf is full of mathematics. Um, there's a lot of a lot of setup work that we have to do in order to make a tournament work. So I'm going to demonstrate to you just exactly how we do a shotgun start here. And here we go. All right, all right, all right. Gentlemen, start your Greetings and welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Shotgun Start. It is May 6th. Andy, how are we doing? Brendan, doing good. I've, uh, you know, I found something I hadn't had in a long time today. Oh, gosh. Where's this going? Cinco de, Cinco de Mayo, Taco Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. Went, went, went hard shell tacos tonight. What are you talking about you haven't discovered in a while? What I haven't had mean? it in a long time. Really? Yeah. I think they're way I, underrated. I don't think they're I, properly appreciated by the world at large. Who hasn't had hard taco? Well, how long has it been? What are we talking about here? That's like kind of like saying I had a glass ago. of water. It's what? Been years. Yeah. I feel like the soft shell has just overrun taco society. There are <laughs> taco society. They are, soft shells are more prevalent now, right? They are. Is it because it's just easier to manage, kind of roll and hold? Like the taco starts cracking, it's just a disaster quickly. But I think it feels hard to avoid. How have you avoided them for years? I don't understand that. I don't, you know, I we made, I made the decision in the, in the grocery store to go hard, hard. shell. There you go. And we do a mix here because... As you'll find out, all the kids have different tastes. Never as easy as just making one damn thing. So we got to make a couple soft. We got to make it <laughs> hard. Got to make some with this sauce. That's, you know, it's just a pain in the ass. But we did do tacos tonight, too. I'm glad you went with hard. Yeah. What uh, What's like the most like surp- surp- superfluous or like overrated kind of part of a taco? That's like typically part of a taco. Don't go crazy on me. Like something that's generally, whether you have it or not. One could say Cilant- the shell. cilantro. 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 I hate cilantro. <laughs> cilantro. You know what I hate about cilantro is cutting it. I yeah. hate it. You're just, you know, it's you don't feel like you're pr- making any progress with it. You just sit there <laughs> chopping away and, and nothing's happening. It drives me insane. <laughs> Uh, the shell is kind of like an overrated thing. The sh- it's just a delivery service. Yeah, like I mean, a taco, it- a taco in a bowl is good. Yeah, lettuce wrap, like the big lettuce. You know, uh, would it be a hot take? I didn't expect to do a taco segment here, but avocados are overrated. Yeah, I think it, 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 they've they've it's swung overrated. It's just this mush thing. Like you get a fresh avocado, I can understand the 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 sort of value in that. But like everything you get out of guacamole, I like guac is from like the flavors that are added that aren't you know derivative to the original avocado. Well, and the it, avocado brings packs a lot of uh, nutritional punch, though. 
That's true. You know, I, I think it it's a it's not it doesn't have the most flavor, but it it, it brings Jeez. a lot to the table. Cheese, another one. Way overrated. Like, like that's just a thing. Like, if you take cheese out, like, it's taco's still going to be fine, you know? Yeah. A- ancillary, right. unnecessary ancillary uh, features cheese, for sure. <laughs> what kind of tacos did you go with? Today? Yeah. Uh, I had I had both. I had soft and hard. What kind of soft, meat? One hard. With chicken pulled. Pulled chicken. So I have a slow cooking chicken. I just put it in the morning. Don't have to do anything with it. Pull it apart at night and it's easy. It gives you a lot to work with, you know, as opposed to just because there's just more. It's, yeah. It takes up volume. Uh, fresh cut jalapeno, which is key to me, like really biting. It has some real kick. And uh, yeah. Sounds like you're a taco connoisseur. I don't know about that. <laughs> you got, your, kid, got your method down. My one kid. Just has ketchup on them. Ketchup and either beef or chicken. Oh. Ketchup. Oh. <laughs> so it's flour, the the one meat, and ketchup all over it. It's just like I just I, one what? one day when he's older, he's gonna you're gonna remind him of that. <laughs> and he's gonna be disgusted with himself. <laughs> All right, that concludes our taco segment. Happy Cinco de Mayo, everyone out there. Cinco de, um, Cinco de Seis. Seis de Mayo. Oh, I guess now that we're on the Wednesday. Eh, so. This might get posted on the 5th. All right. Happy birthday, quickly. Happy birthday no. to Stella. <laughs> I can't keep track of all the messages. I'm so... This is ending. Yeah, my birthday's Friday. I think the season of birthdays ends on Friday with mine. We'll have covered yours, mine, and that's it. Uh, the season of birthdays. So, but this hey, one. If you got a problem, tune into the other birthday podcast. <laughs> <laughs> my sincerest apologies if I miss this. Like, we've gotten a handful of messages on different platforms, and I don't. All different don't... dates. They're like three weeks out. Yeah. Now yeah I was like, how am I supposed to remember this? getting on the board way in advance so this one's an old one from monday the eight-year-old stella olerich olerich i don't know how to pronounce words like that stella olerich happy birthday she's eight apparently a regular listener with her father so happy birthday stella thanks for listening hope you're not drinking too much bixby at eight years old but uh we appreciate your support uh okay let's get to news brooks kepka that we're gonna do here's the format today we're going to do some quick news. You've got a little game. I don't know if it's a game. It's not really a game. It's a segment, an idea, concept, whatever term you want to put on it. And I have a... Uh, you put up a poll for a spotlight, right? Yeah. Where are we on that? What was that? Crenshaw, Bern- Bernie, Laner? Crenshaw and Bernie are in like a dead heat. Okay. Just like my taco poll. <laughs> you had a taco poll? I said, are hard shell tacos overrated or underrated? Oh, it's okay. like a dead heat. Interesting. Um, okay, so so spotlight. Yeah. That, so uh, Crenshaw, as of right now, has a has a less than one percent lead over Longer, and uh, Tom Kite's not that far behind. Nick oh. Price is really in striking distance too. Every it's anybody's game wow. with twelve hours left. Competitive ballot you created do, there. Do, you want to know the hard shell taco? Oh, sure. 
The hard shell taco <laughs> vote has gotten more votes. Just we got so. John King over here working the uh, the touch board or touch oh, screen. Ballot fi- results. 51.9% are saying overrated and 48.1% are saying underrated. Interesting. What would you say? They're underrated. I mean, I, I was just, oh, I don't know. This must inane fucking debate. Apologies for my language, Stella. Um, <laughs> I, I underrated. I don't know. Are they over, who's overrating hard shell tacos? Is that a thing that's happening out there? Are people writing articles about how hard shell tacos are the best <laughs> thing that's happened to mankind? How are they overrated? I guess. <laughs> I understand what I want to know. So this is this kind of dovetails the the engagement for this. <laughs> I mean, we got I gotten fifteen hundred <laughs> votes in two hours. Oh, engagement that's more. That's m- well, it's more votes than Fan Vote Friday gets from the PGA <laughs> Tour. <laughs> and it's this should be the questions they ask these guys for this match. Oh, They're going to have a lot of dead air to fill. You and are, at least they'll talk. You know, you everybody are, can talk about tacos for five minutes. You are linking all the news there. You're that was a proper segue there, Andy. Um, you like that, huh? It wasn't bad. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It wasn't where we we're going next, but we can go there next. Let's talk about the match. We have our first. We have golf. We have action. This it's exciting. No, no BS aside. This like put me in a good mood to start the week when this all got blasted out to us on Monday morning. Like it was good. It's a good thing. I may have been a little worse for the way. No, I wasn't Monday. I was yeah. fine Monday. But it was all on Rory Sabatini's birthday too. Oh gosh, you love your little Rory's, little Rory's humor. The two Rory's. Um, this put me in a good mood. I have something to look forward to. We have golf. We have action. We have a game. Granted, it's, you know, a silly season type of game, but it's a game. It's creative. We have, it's going to be Rory and DJ versus Matthew Wolf and Ricky Fowler in a skins game, two on two. It's Seminole uh, on Sunday, March 17th. It looks like, I believe it May was... May 17th. May 17th, I apologize. Two to six, I believe, on NBC, Golf Channel, various several uh, PGA Tour Live, things like that. Two to six p.m. Sunday at Seminole. I think... For the golf nuts, the hardcore golf nuts who just want any kind of golf, they would have taken it anywhere. Maybe Admiral's, you know, landing cove or whatever. And uh, but Seminole certainly adds like a real nice carrot to this for the golf nuts that would want to see that and and haven't seen it. Maybe if you haven't had the privilege to go play there. Um, so it's just a good thing to look forward to. It appears to be fully sanctioned by the PGA Tour. It's got a uh, Taylor made is, you know, pushing it as big sponsor. Um, Do you think they're going to talk about Taylor made the whole time? Talk about rocket balls, twisty screws, screw face. <laughs> What's the one now? What is it? Oh, Sim, Sim. Uh, I can't keep track. The video game, the Sim. No, that's the driver. Did you ever play uh, that video game? No, I mean I tried it once. So I didn't really understand it. I mean. Uh, did I you never tried it? No. I think I tried it in like fifth grade or something. It's like so you just build a city and watch it grow. I don't know. Um yeah. So the Taylor made in contrast to the other one, which is not on a partner network, TNT, is not have 
I don't know. I assume Taylor made is a partner of the PGA tour in some way or pays a lot of money to advertise there. Like, it's just interesting how this one's been blessed and pushed and sanctioned and all the comments from everyone. Whereas the other ones like still doesn't technically have a date in time and place yet because it's tiger and Phil just sort of saying we're doing this no matter what and still waiting on the tour's blessing. It's just interesting. Um, but there's two ways to skin a cat. Well, the cat may not be skinned yet. We don't have a date or we don't have a place. Maybe metal. I mean, it's, for all you know, we're thinking medalist Memorial Day weekend. I don't know. Could they just play the same day at Seminole? Could they just do it the same day? We could have two groups. <laughs> have a little, your, little bit less dead time. What are your initial reactions to this? I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, Seems like, so we're gonna have Tariko calling it from his house. I don't know, a couple uh, tower people, maybe Azinger, Hicks. People walking on the grounds. I, I forget, like Fultz or Kurt Byron, one of those two. Stanzi, maybe. Stanzi. Walking San- will be on site. But other than that, I think, you know, it's largely a remote production from what I understand. I mean, who doesn't want to watch some of the best players in the world play one of the best golf courses in the world? I mean, Skins game. And we've been totally deprived. Yeah. It's great. It's amazing. It, it, for- I don't know if they're mic'd up. I think Rory probably going to have to carry the conversation there. You know, that's uh, that was my initial reaction. It was not, you know. I'm telling you, they need these. They need a thought. They need a conversation starter. That's how these things should go. Is that there should be a conversation prompt on every hole about random <laughs> little things. Our tacos, our Ta- hard fruit, tacos, vegetables, like stuff that they can talk about. <laughs> like talk about. Um, I don't know. They could talk, talk about, about favorite favorite you drink. Yeah, favorite Peloton instructor. A lot of people can relate to that. I mean, what if DJ just gets loose? I mean, forgets he's mic'd up, starts telling... Boat party stories. Yeah, unfiltered stories. That'd be, you know? that'd be splendid. I would welcome it. I think they should have... They should do this... this you know what's cool about that last dance is how they have the um, the profanity feed on ESPN yeah. and then ESPN yeah. two, no, no swear words. Like I would love if that's how that they did good. this. That is good. Like give me the mic'd up, whatever they're talking about. And, uh, if you don't want that, if you, if, you, if Stella's watching, <laughs> um, then, yeah. then you get the other channel. Yeah. I yeah, mean, no, it's, go that, ahead. that's the thing is you want the, what everybody craves is like what these guys would be talking about if they're sitting at the bar together. But it's so hard to get them to do that because there's so much money if they say the wrong thing that will they'll it'll cost them. You know, they're yep. like Ricky's gonna in fear of losing his Grant Thornton, uh, you know, sponsorship if he says anything incorrect about the counting world. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he's got to worry about he's got he's got multiple debt debt uh, partners. You know. Rocket Mortgage and uh, yeah. and Amex. Yep, yep. So, I yeah, Rick Ricky will definitely be a little, little forced, a little contrived, a little you know walking the brand line. I think Rory is a in a place secure with himself and also creative enough to hold the conversation. DJ could be a wild card. Who knows? 
Matt could Wolf just... could be a wild card. I think he's yeah. the wild card. Wolf could be a wild card. He could. He could actually. For all we know, he could have some serious, like, be able to throw some serious bows at these guys. You know. I think he's yes. he's got like some good. He's got good personality. He's an interesting yeah. guy. Yeah. You know, he's got a a crew of cronies that rolls around tour with him. You know. Is that true? I haven't. Oh heard yeah, that. he's got all of his boys. Oh, they they go from stop to stop. I think he's got like one of his buddies caddying for him now, okay. and he's got a buddy that's his trainer. You know, he's got maybe Gankus might be there. Who knows? GG <laughs> Swing Tips might be in the house. Well, you can't. I mean, let's not start bringing. Aren't we supposed to keep numbers limited right now? Who knows? There might be an. I, I saw Eamon Lynch saying he was going to be there. He did. He he tweeted something about. Oh, he's, he's always suggesting things he could do or couldn't do as a way to. I know he loves rubbing in where he's playing on a day. Yeah, you know. So let's get to that next. Your initial reactions Up to, to Eamon. Eamon's, uh, you know, rubbing in. That's what you want to talk about next? No, no, no. The <laughs> Seminole, the, the the venue. So this place closed, I believe, as a club, like many of them have. Augusta National, others just were done, even if, regardless of local orders or local laws. Um, but it will be open for this, at least. I, I read Ron Witten had a nice write-up in Golf Digest, not to, you know, uh, just kind of a basic scene setter for me, someone who's not super familiar only kind of legend familiar with some of the legends of it. Uh, what are your thoughts on playing there? DJ had a great quote about every time I go there, I think I'm going to carve this place up and I end up shooting that's, way worse than I plan. I you got to play just really good golf. It, it's right on the ocean. So it's, it could get really windy out there. Um, yep. It's got really difficult greens, sloping undulated greens that you got to hit the ball. You got to be in the right position to hit the ball into the greens. And then if you're in the wrong position on the greens, it's going to be a really long day. So it's just one of those golf courses where you have to play very smart, proficient, solid golf to play well, because the combination of tough greens um, with wind is just a very difficult conversation. It's the crown jewel of, of really Florida. Um, One of the best courses in the Southeast and, and one of the courses that's so few that that's going to be the coolest thing about this is that uh, these guys are kind of jumping the USGA Walker yeah. uh, Walker Cup when it was going to be the big uh, entrance for for Seminole here. Uh, but that's going to be one of the coolest aspects of this is that you know a, a lot of American golf courses are so unknown to the public, and this is going to give everybody a chance to see one of the one of the great golf courses of uh, of the U.S. Yeah. I think that's obviously a very uh, substantial added carrot, certainly for the hardcore golf audience. Um, and it's just, I think know. they're going to have DJ do some flyovers of every hole, uh, some voiceovers. <laughs> Talking about what strategy and art design. Oh, this hole I hit driver. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You just. <laughs> <laughs> kind of set your stance here and cut the ball. You want to hit it right to low. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, this is like chicken soup for the golf soul. I'm very excited. You know, any other time we may be skeptical about some elements of it, but Hey, good on everybody for putting it together. I, I just Hopefully feel like this CT is machine, some... CT machine, you know, tailor made, you know, if they really want to bring, kind of integrity and equity to the game 
let's start testing drivers tailor made take take a stance be a leader in this this area that's so lacking here's area a qu- of oversight here's a question why yeah. do we get one of these like every week on like a tuesday or a monday like why why isn't this a thing like you know the shows what the tour is like always looking for more ways to engage and the fans like why don't we have one of these like every wednesday when so, it's going at like at the cool course and like the awesome course in town you know yeah. like everywhere they go it's like okay like it's like I, i've watched a lot of shells wonderful world of golf um, yeah. during this time and yeah. it's like I, that thing should exist and it's a great way a great light easy lift an easy way for them to get you know a couple million people watching something on like weekdays when there's no no other sports like tuesday night so, so I don't know why those went away. Presumably the appetite for them went away. You know, the shells, the the Monday night golf was a thing there on ABC for a while. We that's an even in our lifetime. Um I presumably the appetite for this went away. Uh, I don't know, but I, I think things are changing. Sports networks, TV, like cable bundling is probably seems to be hurting right now. Like this could just be maybe a product that some sort of league offers to a digital uh, product yeah, like amazon or there's all sorts Netflix. of things like it seems like there's fertile ground to do something like this right now as things as the media landscape changes and is the earth under its feet is moved um okay anything else i think we covered that in detail not not quite taco detail but in, in enough detail Oh, no, it's going to be awesome. We'll talk, I mean, with this coming up in, in two weeks, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about it a lot. Yeah. Leading yeah. up to it. I mean, Okay. I, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're excited. Who's fav- who, who are you picking, Rory and DJ or, or Ricky and Wolf? Well, it sounds like Rory and DJ have just been hanging out at home. They haven't, I mean, they just picked up the clubs this week. Not that that's a big deal. We got two weeks to go. I, I think I'd probably go with Rory and DJ, wouldn't you? I I mean, never count two cowboys out. You know, they're they're they went to the same school, so that's got to be worth at least a couple shots, right? What is that? Well, we're gonna <laughs> Just, get that narrative. That's great narrative. <laughs> <laughs> They've got that Oklahoma State connection, <laughs> the cowboy connection. Oh Southern California connection. Oh, there'll be all sorts of stuff. Oh, it'll be there's so much synergy between the two. Okay. Idolize you know, Matt Wolf grew up idolizing Ricky. Is that true? No. Okay. Maybe. I think that might I come. I mean it could be. I, I'm not you know, I'm not saying it's definitely not true. I just don't know. All right. Um other news. Brooks Kepka says he's gonna play. First event back. He's just, just Jones into play. Which runs counter to some of the thoughts we expressed on Monday that maybe they'll let the the secure and highly rated players will let the other guys be guinea pigs through the first several events. But Brooksy will play. Well, he's like two hundred something in the FedEx Cup. He needs to play. <laughs> you can't defend your Wyndham Rewards title on the couch, Brooksy. Um, <laughs> go ahead. What, what a you- crazy year it's been. You know, Kefka once on top of the golf world now is in the 200s <laughs> on the FedEx Cup. Who would have thought that was coming? New decade, new Brooks. Uh, then Brendan Todd had a quote about how that will go. Said, 
I don't know what this conference call or what this press conference was. Uh, you didn't get not, invited? No, we're not getting invited to any of this stuff. It's probably for the best. Um, he would, revealed, you, would you have called in if you got invited? No, that's the thing. Whenever I was getting these, I never called in. All right. Um, Todd revealed that uh, this is from Adam Shupak. Uh, they will have to do a self-test at home. They'll do a test players for events. Self-test at home, the test upon arrival, and a test midweek. They will have to self-quarantine on the road for 14 days if positive. And they're going to use one to two hotels for the players uh, during these events. And dining and locker room access still TBD. Seems like some players are comfortable, some aren't, you know. I don't know. That's just more uh, nuts and bolts of how, how this testing may work if and when we return. Uh, I'm trying to figure out where this call was and how everybody's getting all this info. Uh, other news. World tour may be coming. European tour, which we kind of heard and hinted at here, is in pretty dire straits, it seems like. Steve Eubanks had an article in Global, Global Golf Post saying that the uh, European tour, PGA tour, this COVID pandemic and the crisis has hastened sort of discussions of some sort of, I don't know, lifeline from the PGA tour, safety net, outright purchase. We don't know exactly what it would be, but the European tour is hurting uh, and it may not be, it may not, it won't ever be back probably in the way it was before this hit, but uh, it could lead to some sort of, merger or absorption by the pga tour would be crazy you know i i'm sure there's you know I, i'm sure there's got to be some interest with the pgl and the european tour i don't yeah. know exactly but maybe this is european tour floating something to get some leverage i don't know but this could be this would something's gonna happen it just this is the tough thing with the whole pandemic is that there are massive financial repercussions for shutting down businesses for three, four, five months, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's tough. It's sad that, uh, you might, might lose the European tour. One thing in the Eubanks article I found, you know, I, I'd heard this, maybe not this, in this sort of specificity but just like they're basically out of cash every they budget every four years based on a home rider cup and they base they budget off of that and then by the time like at the end of that cycle their, their coffers are basically empty until they have another home rider cup. yeah i read that it was crazy it was crazy just I mean, it's such a cash cow for everything you know everything they do it's a big the big carrot they dangle over everything right whether it's golf courses events sponsors yeah yeah um they, they can just use it for everything so uh, I it's hate... insane that that the rest of the tour is so worth so little right you know that that has to be the case and uh, it kind of like makes me think about like the idea the thing that golf lacks is like the scarcity idea yeah. if the european tour said hey we're gonna only do like 15 events, but they're going to be badass 15 events. Scottish Open, Irish Open, maybe a, only a couple in the Middle East kind of thing. Yeah. Would that be bet a better tour? Yeah. But but they're playing the magical Kenya Open 
three get, bunch of events ahead. in South Africa that nobody cares about. You get the the you know, but you get people putting up money for Muscat an event. But, in Muscat. but you say you say we aren't doing that. You if you want to put money up, it's almost like the where you get the sponsors leading the way that infiltrates and hurts your product. Right? Yeah, no, we talk about this with so many things. Talk about it with media. Talk about it with our show. Talk about it with everything. You want like I if don't know. Let- it's a balance. You got to strike. Worry about your core product. Worry about your voice i don't know go ahead i don't know that's that's just kind of what i was just thinking about when you know thinking more about that Ryder cup thing it's like why are they playing all these events all over the place going from here to there to there if they can't afford to do it why don't you just cut it and make it awesome the 10 10 or 15 times that you play and have the purses be huge yeah and you get the best players in the world there Every Mul- single time, multiple sponsors behind it. One big sponsor. You have like a local buy-in from the governments and, and golf federations. Yeah, I, mean, I think that I think that's the way that I feel like they tried to compete with the PGA Tour. They just weren't going to beat them. You no. know, well, do something completely different. Right, kind of like what the PGL wants to do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's all I got really for news. For the, at this point, let's let's do a little bit of an ad read, a little bit of an ad read, a little bit do? of an ad read. <laughs> Our I already did. Ha- I did half the ad read la- last show. Oh, we did mention Rocket. You're little. You talk about how your little chipping has been uh, improved thanks to your backyard uh, whack a hack net net game chipping game. I usually come out of winter here in Chicago. I, you know, I barely I play less and less now. My chipping gets worse and worse. And uh, that's not the case anymore. Yeah. I'm at the top of my game, peak of my powers. You know, I might be <laughs> going to Q school in 2022 or whatever the next Q school is. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Rucket is sponsored back, sponsoring the podcast. They're with us, with us all through spring. Hadn't planned for the whole pandemic thing and stay at home, but um, they are, you know, Big partners, sponsors of us. So, Rucket.com. They have the nets are out of stock. Allegedly getting a big shipment in here in like the first couple of weeks of May, hitting nets. But Andy's a big proponent of the chipping game, chipping net. I am as well. Yeah, you way- set it up. Oh, yeah. I've been doing it a lot. It's just a. The kids still whack the ball over the fence instead of chipping it at the, the. Here's how I view it it's a thing like that you could do and have fun in the backyard but also has like a an added benefit of you're getting better as you just alluded to. You're actually getting better at a skill that, that you can then use. So it's like the opposite of playing cornhole. You're not like, gonna, there's no added benefit. You're not going to go like play cornhole is cornhole. That's all there is. It's fun in the backyard. You, know, but you like, clearly never have gone on like a all night run at a bar cornhole. That's what you get better at cornhole to do. I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't go to bars anymore, man. I'm almost 37. I have four kids. I'm not well, at the yeah. bars doing that shit. I haven't played like, cornhole yeah. at a bar in a long time. Either. Well, there you go. Uh, but the, here's the bad, like you're actually having fun in the backyard, but you're ideally, hopefully sharpening or, um, I don't know, improving your touch with a certain wedges or certain shots. Um, all right. So the whack a hack. 
Is that the right? Is it Hack-A-Whack? Whack-A-Hack. Game is available. They have all sorts of other sports. My neighbor up the street didn't know Rucket was a sponsor. Was out in the front yard assembling a lacrosse net, lacrosse rebounder. I was like, what is that? It was Rucket. Got it on Amazon. I was like, ah, should have told me. Mr. Discount Code Chance. Mr. Discount. He was like, oh, I could have gotten you a deal on that. <laughs> he was not happy. So there's all sp- sorts of sports. Baseball, basketball, lacrosse. I mean, youth sports are basically off the map. So this is a way to find some sort of fill-in for practice in the backyard. The URL is rucket.com. The promo code is SGS15 or SGS? SGS15. SGS15. You get 15% off uh, an order of $100 or more. Thanks again to Rucket. They should have more hitting nuts coming in here in the next week or two. Thanks to Rucket for Just support. go check there every day. Just flood the website. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on. You have a, a concept. To- right? to- toilet paper and hitting nets. That's what you got to be on the lookout for at all times. <laughs> uh, yeah. Toilet paper and hitting nets. Okay. You have a little, uh, I don't know if it's, a I don't know. I just got segment. I, I was, uh, I had to, I was driving yesterday talking to a friend of the program, Kevin Bohr. And we oh. just started talking about the this ten year thing and how, and, we, and he started punching up things and pulling up guys and I was like, oh, you know, it might be interesting to to talk a little bit about. You know, we've stumbled across this great statistic, the ten year peak. Kevin right? Moore, by the way, an actual mathematics. He's a professor at UGA, like yeah. eh, not an idiot. Has some credentials to be speaking on these matters but okay well he is an idiot he's not a moron <laughs> yeah, there you go all right um, all right so we he started we started we were talking and, and he started rattling off some modern guys 10 years and you don't realize it but we're like rory's got like at his 10 year so what's the, the context of this is some of these spotlights like what's being revealed more and more it feels like these guys just have 10 solid years where you're either order of merit your major contention or you're you don't win again after 10 years but whether it's lyle faldo even it depends on strange curtis strange depends on, yeah the peaks may be different like tiger's peak was a in my opinion about 10 years of course it was the highest of highs but it does seem like it's it's give or take about 10 years that and you have th- there's some guys that have 15 20 years of good one thing that's interesting is like all the guys that kind of had like a long like phil ernie furick have have these really and, and even sergio and adam scott have these really long major relevances and i yeah. wonder if there's something to do with the equipment thing what do you mean how the equipment extended primes for a, for a period. Interesting. So we don't. So do we not yet know if this ten year theory is applicable to like two thousands? I don't know. I think ten year. It's pretty applicable regardless. I mean, okay. There so might show, be. So tell us. You were you were about to say Rory's getting at the end of his ten years. Yeah. So R- Rory is. If we go ten years right now, he's at thirty nine major starts. And 
let's put a little context around this. So the best player we've profiled to date in terms of his tenure is Faldo, Mm -hmm. which 10-year major run was 38 major starts, six majors, three runner-ups, three-thirds, four-fourths, and two other top tens. So that's that's 47% of the time he's in the top ten and six wins. So just to put it into perspective, right? So Rory, 39 starts, four wins, 18 top tens. So kind of kind of close yeah. in the ballpark, yeah. right? Same percentage about. Uh, one runner-up, two-thirds, two-fourths, nine miscuts, though. Faldo had one miscut. Wow. Um, wow. And then I just started looking at other ones. DJ, 37 starts. Now, DJ... I think Rory, you could make an argument. Rory's probably going to have, probably has another at least seven really good years because mm-hmm. of just how young mm-hmm. he got. How good he was right away. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, D, but you never know. Like we've seen it with Tiger. We've seen it. Like you just never sure. know what's going to happen. Duvall, yep. um, Sp- Spieth. <laughs> yeah. Um, DJ is definitely one, you know, he he's probably on the downside yeah. of his career. He yeah. may be a real kind of perfect 10-year type. Yeah. Started a little later, right, compared to a Rory or a Spieth. So DJ, 37 starts, one win, 16 top 10s, four runners up, one third, two fourths. So his last 10 years of majors? Is yeah. that right? Okay. So listen to this. Fred Couples, 10-year run, 37 starts, one win, 14 top 10s, two top fours, two top threes, one runner-up. Interesting. So it lines up real well with DJ? Similar. Similar. Huh. I'm trying to think about that aesthetically and like from a subjective standpoint. Like a guy that you know is number one in the world or had like elite talent crush the ball maybe didn't i don't know if dj's motivations or what his motivations are but you know it's kind of casual mm-hmm. very similar kind yeah. of a guy who if you watched him you knew and people swooned over interesting okay you knew he was a great player he was a world number one type talent and okay. and so we've got that and dj DJ's on a different, and it, it start you start to see like who's on a different level, right? Okay. So like Rory and DJ, like the the top tens, I think are pretty telling. Obviously, wins are big, you know, four wins yeah. versus one, but sixteen and eighteen, they're both there about the same amount of time. But then you get to like somebody like D- Justin Rose, thirty eight starts, ten top tens, one win, three runners up, two thirds. One other top four. Really? So, only ten top ten. Top tens, huh? I mean, he never. He can't figure out the British, right? Isn't he yeah. just kind of a, not a no show at the British? Other big thing with Rose: ten missed cuts. Twenty five percent of the time, he's missing the cut. Huh. A lot of his work has come at the Masters, I assume. Those top tens. Think, um. Right. Yeah. Then, like okay. Adam Scott, another world number one, who. I think he would fall. You pro, you know, he's just got 
all the he's the, that all the talent in the world guy. If you took look at his peak ten years, which is doesn't include now. I forgot to write down the years that I okay. used for this. Forty That's starts, fun. one win, fifteen top tens, two runners up, two thirds, one fourth, six missed cuts. Okay, so Rory and DJ are clear level ahead of like a rose a scott and that seems think, right yeah no? i think okay. adam scott's kind of close to dj yeah. he's not yeah. anywhere near rory i don't think you can put rory and d i think dj and adam scott are in the same tier yeah but okay. um okay. and i think we know this stuff but it started yeah. but they're in that couple zone right yeah um you know, it, it, just to give you some other ideas, right? Curtis Strange from 80 to 89, 35 starts because he didn't play in any of those opens. Two wins, two runners up, one third, one fourth, nine top tens, but only 35 stars. So you figure he probably had 11, but two wins, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, Should have won the Masters. So Duvall, if you did his five-year run, 19 starts, one win, 10 top tens, two runners up one-third and 19 starts in that five years and and to give one other thing so vj matches up really well with rory three wins 17 top tens one runner up one-third uh you know how many mcs four okay so the vj and vj is that class i think that class that rory but rory's also you know, this was when VJ was in his forties. Yeah. So it's a question is how much longer he goes, but I I pulled a bunch of them. <laughs> Ricky Ricky's at ten years. Uh oh, give me Ricky. You want Ricky? You're giggling, you're smirking. <laughs> Thirty-eight starts, three runners up, one third, eleven top tens. I was going to say it has to be a handful of times. Okay. Jason Day is actually. Got Eleven it. top tens, but we can't say it's a we can't say it's a show of force for a Rory a DJ type, and then kind of well DJ DJ has sixteen top tens. I know I eleven know. and sixteen are drastically. What, different. what is that indicative of? He's not a winner. He's, he's just, just not. A, a, he's not as good of a golfer. He's a coaster. I don't know if he's not it. Okay. I, DJ's just a clearly superior player. No, he's yeah. Then then Rick and even so, Jason Day is kind of the sneaky one that I thought that I was like, wow, he's had a really great ten year run in majors. Yeah, thirty seven sure. starts, one win, fifteen top tens, four yeah. runner ups, one third, one fourth, six missed cuts slash WDs. uh how many of those were recent i feel like what's he done at the majors after like 2016 not much the last two years have have not been good yeah well he had the he had the runner-up at baltusrol that's what i was saying i think in the walker one and that's about it i think he was in a masters too that may be he's he's contended there a bunch so then let's look at Spieth and Brooks. So these are interesting because these are the two guys that you could look at and say they could catch, they could have a Faldo type line at the mm-hmm. end of 10 years, mm-hmm. like four. So they're both six years into their run. 
right? Yep. Maybe, Brooks, you could say five, real, realistically. Um, if you, but I just did six, so they matched up. So okay. they're both fourteen to nineteen. So Spieth had twenty-four starts, three wins, three seconds, two thirds, nine top tens, one miscut. Wow. Ugh. how many starts? Twenty-four. So he he'd be on pace for roughly. Yeah. Probably a little bit better than Roar. He'd be, a, you know, five wins. I mean, okay. now granted, like knowing what happened the last two years, you don't yeah. really. Yeah. You, but now Brooks, six years in. And He's it, like Duvall, except if Duvall like got the Masters instead of. those All those seconds. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. So, a lot of time. A lot of time left on the clock, maybe, for speed. Maybe not. Who knows? All right. Brooks. What's Brooks? So 14, is. it shouldn't even really count. I mean, he just, he did, those were his first majors. He he did fine, but he's yeah. only 21 starts so far. Okay. Um, Four wins, two seconds, three-fourths, no missed cuts, 12 top tens, and 21 starts. He hasn't missed a cut in a major. Not missed a cut in a major since 2014. He missed a cut okay. like way, but if if you're looking at the like from the run standpoint, okay. so he'd be he's like kind of on pace for 20 top tens. He's he's right on that 50 percent of the time he's uh-huh. making above 50 percent right now top ten, which like that's better than Faldo. Um, pretty extraordinary. I mean. Could be insane numbers when it's all said. Surprise me! Wouldn't surprise me. I mean, he's got this knee thing going on, but yeah, wouldn't surprise me. So, Phil Phil's ten year run: four wins, twenty top tens, six (laughs) runner ups, four thirds, one fourth, sixteen top fives, two missed cuts. Phil, legend. I, uh, I uh, we're looking at this in a vacuum, but need to think about where Phil ranks all time. You want West? Like how many? Guess how many Westy uh, top tens in in his ten year run? How many? Uh, I'll go with like twelve, thirteen. Okay, three runner ups. What was his ten year run? Uh, oh, oh eight to seventeen. I okay. put it. Thirty thirty nine starts, three runner ups, six thirds, thirteen top tens. Fascinating. I mean, nine times he finished in the top three. Twenty five percent of the time he finished the top three, which is like, I mean, it's pretty pretty good comparatively when you look at like even Monty, Monty yeah. forty starts. Yep. Three runner-ups, one third, eight top tens, ten missed cuts. So I don't know. I don't want to get too in the numbers, but I pulled all of them, and it's kind of it's just a it's crazy thing. The thing we're going to monitor. Looking, for. yeah, we could we could come back to this. We could throw out new names every now and then, just yeah. like your, your peak ten years, and yeah. see whether we'd consider them to be you know uh, Hall of Fame worthy or you know overinflated. So. How many uh, Furic top tens? Overactivated, maybe. Overactivated. We'll call it that as like the the you know negative 
connotation. Furick, how many top tens in, in his, his ten year run? run. <laughs> I mean, God, he had a really long run. It was hard I'm picking the ten years. Scarred by that wind foot putt, uh, <laughs> three putt. You know, thinking about that, it's unbelievable. Oh <laughs> six, uh, thirteen top tens. He was really good. Fourteen. He is really good. So you know. start to figure out like where, I mean, where what's these the guys line fall? for you? Where what's the line with your tears? <clears throat> Well, I, I mean, think I think the top tens. What do you? We're getting we're getting there. We're okay. I think like you'd have to look at PGA Tour. Uh, you have to look at PGA Tour slash Euro Tour stuff because Sandy Lyle's ten year run only he only made twenty five major starts. <laughs> That's right. He didn't get many invitations all the <laughs> I time. Know. He didn't play. He never played the PGA. Oh, in his ten year run. So <laughs> that's unbelievable. All right. All right. I like this concept. Should we do this other segment tonight or should we push it? What do you want to do? Why don't we why don't we do it? All right. You want to do it? So it's a this is a mini spotlight. Maybe we'll call it, I don't know. The mini the flashlight. Flashlight. <laughs> Flash so dumb. <laughs> right on top of it. There we go. Guys that aren't Hall of Fame worthy, but kind of quirky and you may want to know more about them of that era that we've been covering you may or may not want to know more about them the sgs sgs flashlight here's my intro and this is from a my shot article with frank nabolo here are the words of frank nabolo i close my eyes and see these snapshots of players who at certain moments were brilliant a match for anybody in history high praise a match for anybody in history they aren't always the legendary players after i won the new zealand amateur and on my 18th birthday in 1978 i got invited to play for new zealand in the eisenhardt trophy held that year in fiji the course pacific harbor was extremely difficult with internal out of bounds bordering these narrow fairway alleys internal ob nobody dared hit driver on them the most renowned amateur in the world at that time was gary cowan a Canadian, and a magnificent ball striker. After my round one day, I went out to fo- follow Gary's group, hoping I could learn by watching him. But in Gary's group was a skinny American named Bobby Clampett. What I saw quickly made me forget about Gary. On the narrowest holes, Bobby would pound driver into the center of those alleys with utter confidence in a ball flight you dream about. On the 18th hole, he finally missed a shot but from behind a tall stand of bamboo proceeded to hole a wedge. At that moment, it was only a moment. He was as good as anybody I've seen. Good stuff from Nabilo. Not, 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 Nabilo not prone to hyperbole and sensationalism, you know, whether it be negative, positive, or otherwise. He was I, as good as un- anybody I've seen. Makes me want, hey, that makes me want to know more about Bobby. <laughs> that's why that's I... Put it at the intro. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, again, flashlight. I know we're not getting it all. I I couldn't read. You know, save for foul though. We, we can't. We can't. Ten hours of reading. Yeah. I did like an hour and a half of reading on this one. There wasn't a lot out there to be honest with you. His best days were his earliest days, and there wasn't as much writing about. Maybe that. you should write a Bobby Clampett book. So 
Smartin's going to text me tomorrow morning and be like, there is a Bobby Clampett There's book. 15 books. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure there's a Clampett book, and I'm sure I'm not getting everything. But again, we're just doing what we can here uh, without getting divorced. Um, all right. So Bobby Clampett, really kind of a, this phenom, as those words from Nabilo would insinuate. Uh, he was born in Monterey, California. He attended the... Uh, prestigious the tony stevenson school there behind the gates at pebble beach oh managing editor of the fried egg former teacher there wow so would that be a step up or a step down definitely a step down to the fried egg <laughs> uh so he he <laughs> went to stevenson kind of grew up in that obviously golf rich area of the world um and learned to play. He talks about as a 12-year-old, this chance encounter, getting a car uh, ride with Arnold Palmer. He was like looking for a ride on the side of the road at 12 years old. Uh, I think it was the U.S. Open, 72 U.S. Open. Um, and he got a ride home from the King. Can you imagine that? 72, Arnold Palmer? It's not like... Be pretty cool. Before Arnold Palmer was a known commodity. Um, so he was just... He was an absolute stud coming up as an amateur. We're Again, we're kind of fast track in this um from 1970 well, I, I wanted to know about his stevenson pre, pre, pre-junior golf days <laughs> you did okay <laughs> i wanted to know uh, about when he was playing with the plastic clubs <laughs> from 78 to 80 he was a three-time all-american and two-time college player of the year at byu the cougars yeah maybe the, maybe the best cougar of all time three-time all oh whoa I'm saying at school. Oh, at school. Okay. All right. While he was a three-time All-American, two-time player of the year, BYU. They have a sneaky great. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, if you were going to construct a five-man golf team, BYU's, like, kind of sneaky great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They can put up a squad. Um, So he won two state Cal Cal State amateurs, 78 and 80 held at pebble beach held at pebble beach so nearby i you mean know, you know one one byu what? alum is gonna be in the uh colonial for sure who's that keith, cb keith clearwater oh okay <laughs> didn't want mean to derail that conversation that gets back to our issue from monday <laughs> 53 minute mark keith clearwater <laughs> All right, so he won the Cal State Amateur in 78 and 80. Ah, competitive amateur event, I would say. No? I mean, how many I mean, of there are that better than that? A couple, I think maybe? California State Amateur is a pretty good one. The Met? I don't know. Okay. Uh, so he won that twice. He won the Western Am. He won the Porter Cup. He won the Western Junior. He won the Sunahana Amateur in 80. It's uh, a lot so- of... A lot- those are big pelts on the amateur circuit. If if you haven't heard of some of those, Porter Cup, Sunny Hannah, yeah, Western. I mean, these are the the big, big, big events, including the state, including a three time All American. Just... These would be like elevated status events on the amateur circuit. Not not quite. Maybe not, some fringe majors could be maybe a players in there. One of them. Yeah. But the the Western <laughs> Am is considered the masters of amateur golf. Yeah. So in addition to all this success at the amateur events, he was the low amateur at the 78 US Open as an 18-year-old. Uh I think he was 18. And the 79 Masters. He was 18 at the 79 Masters. 
So he's low am at these major championships as well. Um, all right, let's let's get into some 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 details around these amateur days. We heard Navalo speak. So at the seventy eight uh, U.S. Open, oh, seventy eight U.S. Open. So he's there. Andy North wins at Cherry Hills, but uh, here's Dan Jenkins. There was another new word, Clampett, as in Bob Clampett. There's nearly always a Bob Clampett on the scoreboard in the early rounds of an Open, but this one was slightly different. He was only eighteen. He was an amateur and no longer than an average five iron. With his bush of curly blonde hair, he looked like a teenage Harpo Marx. But his one under 70 stunned everyone. He hung in there with 73 on Friday, but then came Saturday and Bob Clampett was paired with Trevino. Trevino and he could no longer perform in privacy. Clampett whiffed. Yes, he missed two consecutive shots out of the gnarled bluegrass rough. So he faded, but like this was when he was 18 years old. He, uh, I think he was T30. T30. Okay. It, it was a big thing. It was like notable. People were talking about it. Um, he was the youngest low amateur in the open since Bobby Jones wore a sailor suit, finishing 30th uh, with the 297. All right. So then later that summer, 78, 78 US amateur. Uh, he never won the USAM. I mean, he had a lot of amateur success, never won the USAM. So he got it. This loaded Final Four. John Cook won the seventy-eight U.S. Amateur. He beat Scott Hoke. Hoke was the one who beat Clampett. And Clampett you know, won the next year. I do, Mark O'Meara. Uh, we'll get to that. So <clears throat> Clampett, like, is by far the best amateur in the country. Maybe not by far, but you know, clearly the best. Cook, Cookie was a was in the discussion. Totally, he'd won the Cal as well. Um, but Clampett, that summer of 78, low am at the U.S. Open, which we just mentioned. You know, he won the Porter Cup and he won the Western Am. Um, he'd won 22 matches in a row, I think it said, before he lost to Hoke. Uh, one thing I loved about this, he says he's 18, he's, he's playing well at the U.S. Open. He's 5'9", 140 pounds. And they talked about how he, he loses a few pounds during the tournament. And he starts to like hit the ball right because he's just... I don't know. He's not a the strongest person yet at 18. And in the U.S. Amateurs, a long week, a lot of matches, a lot of holes. Uh, so he lost to Scott Hoke in the semis. Um, and, and, you know, Hoke was like, odd quote. He's like, there's no question that he is the best in the country this summer. But I didn't want him, him to walk away with everything. That's just not American, which I don't understand. Scott, Scott Hoke might be a good uh, flashlight. Can't I know a lot of controversial <laughs> things coming up in the, our research on Scott. Oh, wow. so <laughs> Flash, flashlight. Such a dumb thing. All right. Uh, so that covers 78, 79 U.S. Open. Uh, we talked about this extensively. Hale Irwin wins at Inverness. And Clampett's a marker. He's hitting from his knees. On the first and tenth hole, they asked. <laughs> he missed the cut. They asked him to play as a marker. Here's a. Uh, this was just a goofy U.S. Open, like not necessarily goofy golf, but some odd things happened. You you have the, uh, what was what's the tree? The Hinkle tree. The Hinkle tree. Sorry, I, I couldn't think. Lon Hinkle. Uh, he found an opening. Let, let's detour for a second. I think most people know this story, uh, but probably a lot of them don't. The younger, our younger audience. 
Uh, he, so Lon Hinkle found an opening on the eighth tee at Inverness that allow a player to drive down the adjacent 17th fairway and from there hit a difficult but not impossible shot to the eighth green. This shortened the par five about 75 yards. And on the first day, Hinkle drove a one iron through this gap, like just aiming, <laughs> just not intended that way at all. But he, he drove a one iron through this gap um, and played a two iron approach and got a two putt birdie. He, his discovery that day filtered back into the field behind him and eight players behind him coming up, tried it after the word spreading word of mouth during play, just eight, funneling through the field. Eight behind him tried this shortcut, and six of them made birdies. Uh, but it was Hinkles that distressed the USGA, and his 70 during this round gave him a tie with four other players for the first-round lead. So he held the first-round lead while playing this, you know, wrong fairway. So, so the, the, the USGA comes in and plants a 25-foot Christmas tree, Hinkles' tree, in the gap. And we don't need to get into it, but like this, it became known as Hinkle's tree. And Jenkins has like paragraphs on this. I don't want to take all night on the flashlight um, saying, you know, all they needed to do was really move the tea box up, move the tea markers up as opposed to planting trees, which they eventually got to doing by Saturday. And Hinkle was so pissed off that they planted a tree. He kept trying to do it. He did it all four rounds. And he like successfully. Never hit that tree, but the last two rounds he hit it in the rough of the adjacent fairway, then hit a tree trying to come back. And I think made bogey. This was his quote that tree took me out of the tournament. <laughs> he could have just played the hole like I everybody know. else was playing. There I was tied for the lead after the first day, but there was so much talk about it. I was thinking more about outfoxing the tree than trying to play golf. <laughs> I like Hinkle. He's my kind of guy. That's what I would do. I'm foxing the tree. But anyway, so this is like USGA's planting trees after play has begun. Um, Jenkins said it was Jenkins said like you wouldn't buy this for Christmas. You know that tree fell down this year. Oh, is that when it went down? In the windstorm, a couple times. Yeah. Okay, that's fascinating. And uh, yeah, it's 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 R.I.P. No more. The Hinkle tree. So in addition to the USGA planting trees after play has started, there was also on Wednesday, Jenkins having fun with this, there was an imposter named Barry Bremen played nine holes of practice with Wayne, Le- Wayne Levy and Kip Byrne and then had his photograph taken on a practice tee with Jack Nicholas. Only Barry Bremen wasn't actually in the field. <laughs> in February, Bremen had gained fleeting notoriety by getting hold of an old Kansas City Kings warm-up suit, participating briefly in the halftime shooting drills during the NBA All-Star game before he was found out. Unbelievable. The All-Star game. And the U.S. Open. He's in the layup line at the All-Star game. And then he's at the U.S. Open. played nine holes of a practice round. Barry Bremen. So he what got a legend. Tossed. What a legend. That's unbelievable. So we got that guy. Could you imagine that happening now? <laughs> Taking pictures with Jack. It's kind of unbelievable. How did he, how did that happen? How did the other two guys not know? I mean, I guess it's the US Open. You could have some sectional qualifiers. You don't know any you don't know everyone in the field at a US Open. <laughs> Was he hitting like a big banana ball? <laughs> I don't know. There were no details. No. That's a good point. 
I mean, how did he not? How did he hold his own? I mean, what if he's like a six handicap or something? Um, so you got the Hinkle tree, you got Barry, and then you got Sunday. Here's Jenkins. We we talked about this, you know, in the Momira spotlight. On Sunday morning, the USGA had to make a citizen's arrest <laughs> of Bob Clampett, <laughs> a fine amateur for conduct considered quote demeaning to the championship. <laughs> the citizen's arrest is so good. They did take him off the course. Clampett, who had missed the cut, was sent out as a marker, a non-contesting companion for pro David Edwards, who otherwise would have been playing alone. Clampett looks a little like Harpo Marks, so maybe that explains what he did. He drove off the first tee on his knees. He drove off the 10th tee on his knees. He frequently putted between his legs, putted with a sand wedge, and did a number of Chi-Chi-type comedy routines. <laughs> he was finally escorted off the co- course at the 12th hole by Jim Hand, chairman of the USGA Championship Committee, and PJ Boatwright, executive director of the USGA. They took him off the course. Marker couldn't make it, didn't make it to the 13th tee. Can you imagine somebody doing that as an amateur? Like it's just like the USGA, this intimidating organization, just like saying "f you." I'm gonna like an 18 year old. Night, I guess maybe 19. Then, but. Can, can you imagine the USGA's week? They were buying. They were going down, finding the biggest yeah. tree they could find. They were. They had to take care of Barry Bremen. And then on <laughs> Sunday, they got this guy hitting the 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 high the most highly regarded. Amateur just treating it like a like a Thursday afternoon round with his buddies in yeah. college, putting with the sandwich. Um, so they take him off the course. Quote Clampett, "I'll have the last laugh. I'll turn pro." He's indignant. He's just defiant still to the end after they take him off the course. I'll have the last laugh. Later, he explained that um, he explained it later, like you know. They didn't like that very much. Well, I had it in an interview of just saying like he was on the range hitting balls off his knees with like it's still kind of like not great at the U.S. Open. The fans loved it. And he said the fans kind of coaxed him into doing it on the first tee as a marker. And then he came around again and the fans on the 10th had heard about it and they wanted to see it, too. So he did it again. He's like, well, then it filtered back the USGA and I didn't. They caught up with me on the 12th fairway. Unbelievable story. So that's the 79 at uh, Inverness. You there? My yeah. internet's freezing up. I just want to say sure. I'm here. 79 US Amateur, you know, O'Meara wins it, but Clampett was, uh, he looked unbeatable in the qualifying rounds. He set a course record, a 66 and a 68 on Wednesday to break the, uh, he was the medalist at the 79 Amateur. He broke the uh, two shots, uh, the 36 hole scoring record helped by ski regal 46. Um, so that was his amateur days. Never won the USAM, won a bunch of high profile amateurs was a legend at BYU three time all American, uh, low amateur at the masters, which he was low enough. He was inside the top 25. He got an invite back. Cause back then you're top 24. You would get a invite to the next year's masters. Um, turns pro and it just kind of, he was a golfing machine. Yeah, I've got all that. Okay. <laughs> we'll get that's a separate kind of thing. Um, I mean, he was good as a pro right away. He finished second on tour four times in 81 after turning pro in 80. He earned more than 184 grand and landed 14th on the money list in his rookie year. Pretty, Pretty unbelievable. Good. Then uh, 
uh, won the same amount of cash. He was 17th on the money list in 82. And he trailed, uh, he finished T3 to Tom Watson and Nicholas at the US Open at Pebble Beach. So, like, he's from from Monterey, too. We've talked about that. I know. So, so he's from that right there. We'll get into that. That's kind of nuts. Won the Cal Amateur. Yeah, T3 in 82. And then he finally won, he won the Southern Open, which was somewhere in Georgia, Columbus, Georgia. Forgot to write that down. So he won in 82. You know, he's might be on my hall of fame. <laughs> Come on. No, we haven't gotten to the bad part yet. Uh, so he was T3 at the at that pebble open. And then he was he set a 36 hole scoring record at the 82 British Open at Troon. Um here's Jenkins. So he, he led by seven shots on Saturday at the British Open at Troon. Led by seven. Unbelievable. 1982. He's like Second year as a pro. Here's Jenkins. Clampett shot about a million in the last two rounds after firing very <laughs> low area codes on Thursday and Friday. He soared from 67-66 to 78-77. Here's more Jenkins. The real loser at Troon wasn't Price. Tom Watson won. Nick Price like held the Sunday lead for a second. Wasn't Price, but Clampett, a slightly mysterious but likable lad with perhaps the most potential of any young player on the American tour. Clampett's golf swing is impressive even when his shots go wrong, and hardly any of them did in the first two rounds. Well, you know, 67-66 almost blew everybody into the firth. Clampett is the most studious of golfers. He likes to think about the game in terms of physics, a bent that belies his quiet sense of humor and hairdo. That has given him the nickname Harpo again on the U.S. tour. He's a Northern California kid who sees him more as a mecha- mechanical golfer than an artistic one. Any other Northern California people, golfers that think of themselves as a mechanical and physics. Uh, from now, not 140 pounds, but trying to get to 270. Is that, uh, is that Bryson? Yeah, Bryson. Physics, mechanical. Sick we'll boy? see. He has a perfect grip and beautiful swing. His fellow pros consider him the best aimer since Nicholas. Quote, best aimer since Nicholas. Aiming is a skill. Yeah. Yeah. He's been close to winning many times in two years. And, you know, all right. So his collapse at Troon began on the 42nd hole, par 5 sixth on the third round. He was 12 under par and leading by seven. He's leading by seven shots. He had worn knickers, posed for thousands of photographs with his girlfriend, and spoken of his contract with Bell System Yellow Pages, which is why his golf bag is black and bright yellow, and why he often dresses like a bumblebee in the States, because Bell System is his backer. Clampett's magic and his clear-thinking processes deserted him on the 42nd hole. He played unwisely out of two bunkers, staggered through to a triple bogey eight. Afterward, it was as if he had been run over by a truck. Mentally, he never recovered. The 78 and 77 were proof of that. The big question Troom posed is how Clampett will handle his debacle there, not how many more majors Watson will collect. This was so prescient writing. So prescient. Because he didn't handle it. Like, it was done. The big question Troom posed, not the winner, is how Clampett will handle his debacle there, not how many more majors Watson will collect. A brilliant career maybe lying back where the Firth washes up against the sand hills. I feel sorry for Bobby, Watson said Sunday evening. He may be crying right now, but I've cried before, and he'll learn to be tough. 
I mean, it's kind of, we'll get into real quickly, like the golfing machine stuff and him fiddling with the swing, but that's that weekend after leading by seven, he, he never did any, I mean, he has only one win. It was at 81 Southern open. So, um, the other stuff is like, yeah, the golfing machine he was like the first big poster boy for that book. It's like a cult classic Homer Kelly. Um, and, and his teacher was like the first real certified teacher. Uh, I think his name is Ben Doyle. Um, in the early 1980s, Clampo was going to make Homer Kelly's dream come true. Uh, he was, you know, it's, it's very, we don't need to get into all the instruction of this, but you know, he became, uh, he was college player of the year. We got all this, you know, his public avowal, um, he, he, he was going to become the tour's best golfer and his devotion to the golfing machine was going to make the book a best seller. Um, with the blue eyes and curly blonde hair, Clampett was a media darling. And he never did an interview without crediting his success to the golfing machine and Doyle, his teacher. He'd been smitten with the book since he was a boy, learning the game under Doyle, Doyle's tutelage there in the uh, Monterey area. He's like, I read that book every day. I was so into it that I wrote a high school paper for science class about the club head lag. In 1983, though, Clampett's game mysteriously, <clears throat> mysteriously started to fall apart. And desperate for help, he ditched Doyle and solicited advice from a dozen other teachers. Years of over-analysis led to swing paralysis, and Clampett never regained his form. By the mid-1990s, he was off the tour. And his demise, allegedly, brought down the golfing machine as well as Doyle. Uh, book sales plummeted. Rival teachers began mocking the book's principles and certification program. You know, when I played well, people said it was because of the golfing machine. But when I came on hard times, same people blamed my problem on the book. The reality is that I called my own demise, caused my own demise. I should have stuck with what got me to the top. I found some later quotes where he's like, I started like going to these high profile teachers. They said I was doing too much. I should have just stuck to the golfing machine all the way through. And you get the Bennett and Plummer coming later. And they're like these golf machine disciples. There's, there's, there's. This is like a long history of instruction that we don't need to get into. But Clampett was like the poster boy for the golfing machine. Now they um, now they got their now the golfing sh- machine's future is tied to another science boy. Maybe, yeah. He's pro- he often cites that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. There's several other th- like 2000 U.S. Open. He qualified. He asked for an exemption. So Pebble Beach. He's he basically. He was off the tour by the mid-90s, was with CBS by 1991. But 2000 U.S. Open, he asked for an exemption out of locals. He got denied, and this like really pissed him off. So he was motivated by it. And uh, he opened with the first round 68. Um, you know, He won all these Cal State amateurs, 82. He was T3. Uh, he didn't miss a green or fairway over the first 10 holes. He was four under through 10. He goes, when I made that putt on nine for birdie, I looked up and thanked God. My eyes welled up with tears. It was amazing. And, you know, he obviously fell off, but like he had no career anymore. He was, you know, inside the top 10 all of a sudden. He's four under through 10. Um, and uh, as a junior, like basically Tiger was compared to Clampett as a junior. You know, it was like, could he be like a Bobby Clampett in California, that is, you know, two time Cal amateur winner and things like that. Uh, the most c- common explanation for him going sideways. He got too deep in the swim mechanics and lost his natural gift. We'll see. A lot, lot of articles. The that machine talk about broke. 
Yeah. Uh, his Doyle kind of as good as he is, Tiger tries to get better every single day by improving his technique, which is what I tried to do, says Clampett. Look at what it's done for him. It simply didn't turn out the same way for me. Um, it was Ben Doyle. Did I say Ben? I don't know if I said Ben. Either way. Um, he obviously blames like the abandoning of the golf machine for his implosion. All right. Last but not least, he goes to CBS. He's a CBS broadcaster, 91. Um, he was covering the PGA for TNT and Frank Cherkinian hired him on the spot. He said he liked me, liked what I was doing with Turner. He immediately became, you know, uh, I guess hired by CBS. Didn't go full time. I think till 95, I don't remember like why it fell out, but uh, there was a controversy in the 08 Masters broadcast. He was taken off the 08 Masters broadcast. He was doing the streaming and he called Wen Chon Lian the Chinaman, which is uh, not something good. you want to do. And he explained it like he apologized, he got taken off the streaming right away. He goes, it was an honest, honest mistake I made. I referred to the player as a Chinaman. Much as I would refer to an Englishman or an Irishman, I've been covering Amen Corner Live for 27 hours by myself, and I said something that sounded sounded natural to me, and I did not put any thought in the notion that it could be offensive. When I was told that people were offended, I apologized immediately. Um, that's it. Flashlight. He, he became big on the impact zone. Was his thing. He's a big teacher. He's still down in Naples. He says all swains, all that matters is studying the impact zone. He's like, he learned this from watching CBS, like the biz hub slowed down feed. He's like, you could be Furick, you could be Trevino. All they needs to teach is the impact zone is this thing. So. How do you teach the impact zone? I do don't you know. ever think about I wasn't going to read out about hitting it. Hitting a really. golf ball. Like who thinks about the impact zone? I got a lot more here, but we're well. That's we're getting into spotlight territory, not flashlight territory. Bobby Clampett, seventy-nine U.S. Open Inverness. We, I feel like we had to tell some tales from there. The golf machine. You can obviously read up more on Clampett, but uh, uh, we don't want to go all night. Anything else? Any questions? Thoughts? Comments? Oh, that's that's yeah. wonderful. I, I I like Bobby Clampett. He's a uh, He's one. Of, he's now one of my favorites. I might have to go get a lesson from him. Figure out what the what the impact zone's all about. Compared to Tiger Woods, that is Nabilo quotes. You know, seven shot lead at the Open, finishes third at the U.S. Open at Pebble, and then it was just done. Gone. All right, every, everyone, enjoy your Wednesdays. We will catch up with you on Friday. Vote in the uh, vote in the taco ballot too, but vote for the uh, next spotlight. It sounds like it's a close one. anybody's game price burning lawn all right talk to you guys on uh friday